This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Ben Dowsett, back in studio this week. Really appreciate it. Ben is our associate editor at Salt City Hoops, overall superstar, now national celebrity, <laughs> returning back from his hiatus of celebrity dumb is... I don't know. One way to put what happened. That's one way to put it. <laughs> um, and we've got a lot of jazz and, and NBA basketball to talk about. So um, just kind of giving you a little preview of what to, what's to come in the show. We're going to start this segment with what we call a triple team or three points about what's going on with the Jazz's season right now. We'll be talking about the Jazz's defense. Um, their offense is doing surprisingly well. What What's behind that success? And then the Jazz are about to play two consecutive matchups against the Oklahoma City Thunder. We'll talk about whether or not the Jazz can prevail at least one of those two matchups later on this segment. Um, later on, uh, actually in the 8 o'clock hour, we'll have Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer, joining us um, to talk about uh, all sorts of various topics from Rodney Hood shooting to play calling to the upcoming schedule. Um, we always love having Dan on the show, so um, we're, we're excited to bring him on board. We'll also be talking about the all-star balloting that was announced yeah. today um, as, as something fans can now kind of get into. And, you know, it's still early in the season. The Jazz have only played 20 games. I've already voted more times than I voted last year. But Once. voting is <laughs> voting is all the way open. And so we'll talk about whether or not we think Derek Favors of the Utah Jazz can make it into the Western Conference all-star roster, as well as kind of talk about what that all-star roster should look like uh, this hour and then, as always, we'll go around the NBA and wrap up with some crazy trade ideas. You excited, Ben? I am super excited. Good. Um, as always, this is a social show, so please feel free to call us or tweet us uh, if you'd like to join in and kind of join the conversation. You can always you gotta give him the number. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to. All right, all right. You can tweet us first. Now I just want to say the Twitter handles before the number, just to you know, I don't know. Shame you're interrupting me. Yeah. Yeah. You can interrupt me whenever you want. Um, tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett, our Twitter handles, or you can call us 877-353-0700. That's 877-353-0700. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well, what are we doing first? We're we doing the defense first? Yeah, let's talk about the Jazz's defense first because I think, you know, this is kind of what we saw as the identity of the Utah Jazz was their stellar defense, remember? Number one in the NBA over the last two months of, of last season, the 2014-15 season. And so far this season, it hasn't been as good. And that's be both before and after the injury to Rudy Gobert. Yeah. You've got some stats for us. My stats are since the injury to Rudy Gobert, which okay. I think for now is the, is the more— re- I think we had seen some slippage before his injury, yeah. but I think the slippage we're seeing now is very different. from, And it's coming from very different things, and in large part it's coming from Gobert not being there. Okay, but I, I mean, I would say that the slippage is is not helped by the Rudy Gobert. Oh no! But I think <laughs> yeah. you have to also look at you know why were the Jazz tenth in the league instead of first in the league right. before Rudy went down? But right. Let's let's look at just the last week. Okay. 
Uh, and part of that is, I uh, just to speak to your last point really quickly, I think yeah, it's yeah. because they've also played a few really, really good offenses, which, I mean, in 20 games, I guess everybody's going to play a couple good offenses, mm-hmm. but they've played the two best already, for instance. So, anyway, um, the defense. It's the second point that I had listed, but I think it's by far the most important thing currently going on with yeah. the Jazz. Before Rudy Gobert's injury, the Jazz were allowing 48.3% as a team at the rim with a, with a defender there within five feet per sport view numbers. Since Rudy Gobert's injury, that's gone from 48.3% up to 56.5% at the rim. Uh, so an 8% increase before and after uh, as a team. That's a huge, huge. That goes from, I, I, don't, I didn't write it down because I'm stupid, but it went somewhere from, that was something from like, I think that was 6th or 7th in the league before Rudy Gobert's injury. Now it's in the bottom 10. And an eight percent increase, you know, in terms of an M- an NBA game, is probably you know five to eight points somewhere yeah, in there. That's a lot. Uh, favors in particular, his now it's a small sample. Four games for one player is a small sample for a team. It's a little more robust, but for a and even for a team, it's kind of small too. But one player favors was allowing forty three point five percent, one of the best marks in the league before Gobert's injury. Now he's allowing sixty over sixty one percent. Since at the rim, since that. Now, a again, lot of that is one that one big game. Again, who was that against uh, the Kings? The Kings, where the Kings went eleven for eleven with Favors as the nearest defender at the rim. So okay, that's that's what I was going to ask. Is this that is when Favors is the nearest defender right. guarding guys who are shooting uh, baskets within what is it five feet of the rim? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and with a defender within five feet. But as a team, the Jazz are allowing about six more points in the paint than they were previously. That that's. I mean, I think all that you can tie. Fairly directly to Rudy Gobert. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's absolutely the case, and obviously that's you know that's basketball basketball analysis one hundred and one, right? You lose the tall guy with the long arms who's good at defending the rim, and what do you know? You're worse down there. Yeah. Um, but I think there's other stuff going on too. There is. Um, another one that I dug up: the Jazz are giving up more three pointers a game. They were giving up about twenty, just just around twenty one three pointers a game before the injury. Now they're giving up about twenty five. Since it's not a huge difference, but we do know. The that three pointers as far as the defense, you can control more as far as the number of attempts than you can the accuracy over you know over time generally. So it's not great to see the number of attempts go up. I didn't check on those uh, how open they were or weren't compared with the previous period, which I probably should have done. But I think that is kind of an inside out effect, though, in a sense, because I think things have and this is something that Dan has talked about, and we'll talk about it with him when he comes on later. Is the the way the Jazz have kind of had to play defense in a couple scenarios has changed in situations where Gobert would normally be on the floor, like with those starters, for instance. They're very accustomed after more than a year now of when Rudy Gobert's on the floor, you f- things can be funneled to him. That's not to say it's okay that you make mistakes on the perimeter, but you can arrange the, your your alignment on the perimeter to say if they're going to go anywhere, they're going to go to where Rudy wants them so that Rudy can block them and block passes and so on and so forth. Without him, I think it's been a struggle to adjust to that sort of thing. They've had to force guys to different areas a little more and give more help, and I think that's a reason why the three-pointer num- the three-point attempt numbers have gone up. Yeah, and so I, I think that's interesting. I, I one thing on your stat: so about five more threes point per game, but the Jazz have also played an overtime game in that's that three-game stretch, and I think they're playing at a little bit higher pace, if I'm not mistaken, over the last three games. They, um, I believe than that's they, right. They did previously, so I, I wonder if I you adjust that. for. Uh, per, on a per possession basis, what those three point stats look like, but I, I think you're right, and I, I think uh, it's certainly that the, something that the Jazz weren't doing as well as they did at the end of last season. Um, 
was defending the three and and preventing opponents from shooting the three. Yeah. And uh, by the way, just real quick, the yeah. pace actually isn't hasn't sped up all that much. Okay, it's been about the same. Okay, no, that's good to know. Um, regardless, uh, I you know so now that we know that this three point effect is real, um, not that I was doubting you before, right. but you know what I mean. Yeah. I I I I think they're you're right that you know these teams are are. This team is used to funneling people into Rudy Gobert as a defender, and when he's not there, all of a sudden, the defense has, or sorry, the opposing offense has far better drive and kick situations on, in which to find open three point shot shooters. Yeah. Now the question for me is how how worried are we about this sustaining for the entire period of Rudy's absence? And I'm personally kind of in the middle here because. On the one hand, you can look uh, over on Nylon Calculus. Seth Partner has compiled. He separated rim protection numbers by the position the guy's playing at the time. So you can look at Favors' numbers, and they're pretty similar when he's playing center versus when he's playing power forward, which translates to they're pretty similar when he's playing with Rudy Gobert and when he's not playing with Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert. So I think that, that the thing we just mentioned about his percentage going way, way down in these four games, I think you can assume that that is not going to sustain that he, you know, that he's proven that he's. I think this is a bit of a kind of a feeling out period of kind of getting used to his new surroundings and being the center more often. I don't know. Your, I, your face doesn't look like you agree. I don't know if I agree because you know you look at the year and a half where Derek Favors was your primary rim protector and the Jazz were terrible defensively nearly the whole time. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Now I, it's also I think it's fair to look at the the schemes they were running at those times, sure, the, which were terrible. Okay, but how about the first half of of 2014 and or the first half of last season basically the first half of the first Quinn Snyder year yeah I guess I guess that's fair although I don't know that first half is honestly quite fair because they they kind of got into things before halfway through the year it just took a while for their numbers to their full season numbers to eventually sure but that. okay but even you know looking at the the first two months or the first three months I, I you know I I watched a Sacramento game on Tuesday and I I mean I didn't see it right like that was if you allow something. eleven for eleven at the rim, that's bad rim protection. Something just it looked was bad weird. Rim something protection. just looked weird in that game, and I, I I don't have anything scientific here that I've put my finger on. I was talking to Dan again about this briefly. He kind of agreed that it was something was. We he even speculated briefly that Favors may have had a nagging thing going on. But that can't be true because he played amazing. No, I know. Literally twenty hours. No, later. I know. And I'm I I, I do want to give some some credence to the fact that we may not know everything. And I'm not even saying we that he may have an injury or something because I don't think he does. Uh, just that sometimes stuff sort of happens that we can't necessarily explain. I just don't think yeah. you're ever going to see a game like that. Not that, you know, even a game where he did slightly better would still have been really bad in that case. Like if he had allowed 7 11 of 11, that's right. still really bad. But I, I just, I do really think that it's something that Quinn Snyder is too good of a coach. Derek Favors is too good of a player. I, but I don't I, know I, if Favors is too good of a rim protector. That's what we're we're looking at right I kinda now. I kind of think he is, though. I think last year kind of proved it because, again, I think that he play, did just about as well when he wasn't playing with Gobert as he did when he was. And that's basically he's playing center in nearly all those minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I really just think that we, I want to give that a little bit more time personally. Yeah, no, that's I fair. think personally, actually, that the three thing is a, a, a bit of a larger concern. Okay, so my theory on the three thing, though, was that, that it's happening because there isn't that rim protector, and so 
the Jazz have to help more, essentially, from the offside, therefore letting more open three-point shots happen. But I think that's a bit more of a perception versus reality thing. Like, say Derek gets back to the form that we've seen from him at the rim as far as defending. I don't know that his teammates' perception of, well, still, Gobert's not back there, whether okay. that's going to change as quickly as his real performance that's might fair. change, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So let's, you want to go to the offense now? Yeah. I think there's some really co- interesting stuff with that. You cover uh, transition and second chance points. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, they, they're had, the Jazz have given up a small uptick in both those areas. Transit, not huge, honestly. I do think Sacramento was bad. That was an, Everything was bad in that game. Everything did, was awful. They that, did really, really badly defensively in that game. And I, mean, I think we saw, you know what? The, the Knicks did not play well last night. They played really badly, in fact. But the, I think we saw definitely a renewed effort from the Jazz, especially on the perimeter. They were the, the Knicks only attempted, I think, 17 shots within the restricted area for the whole game yeah, or something. something like that. That's really good, even when they're not shooting well. Right. How much of that was on the Knicks? I'm trying to figure out these sort of questions. Yeah. Is how much of that was the Knicks just not bringing any effort at all last night? I thought they were dreadful, and, and you know, sure the Jazz stopped them, but it didn't. They didn't give too much effort to trying to beat yeah. that. It can be really tough to break that kind of stuff. You know, we're looking at one game it's, where the opponent hard. basically wasn't playing. We're looking at one game where the Jazz basically weren't playing. Right? Like, no, that's it, true. It's kind of hard to assess. Well, and uh, I think that's why I want to almost look at the larger sample of these of these 20 games that the Jazz have played and say, yes, we have three games now that we. Uh, is it four games? Four. Without Rudy Gobert. Uh, but we have 16 before, and with the Jazz, we're still not a top-five defense. I Yeah, and I agree that that's—I think it's a small point of concern. I— I'm not, I wasn't ready to panic about it before Gobert went down. I wanted to give it a little bit more time to see. I, I also think there's something to be said for this kind of the same thing happening two years in a row as far as it—, it I think Quinn Snyder is the sort of coach who's, who's it, it takes a second to, to kind of come around, even when you've been with him before, even when you've had most of the same group. I, I think he's emphasizing certain bits of new stuff. It took them a while to get away from the, the overhelping thing that they were doing, which is something he and I have talked about. Uh, but I think they're still doing it. A little. I think it had really started to go away before Gobert's injury, and I think Gobert's injury kind of threw things into chaos a little okay. bit. And maybe I'm making too much of an excuse with Gobert's injury, but I kind of don't no, think I, I am. I, like everyone, I, you know, you can make a real case Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player in the league. Yeah. And to, it's not saying too much that obviously losing the best defensive player in the league is going to hurt your defense. Yeah. But I think it is reasonable to throw this in while we're talking about the Jazz's defense to say, look, the Jazz were underwhelming on the defensive end through the first 15 games of the season. Why is that? By their standards, and I, I think that's fair. Um, r- briefly, we want to talk about the offense without Gobert because I think it's lent some interesting sort of templates for even maybe when he's back. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. so moving on. That's our defense point. Defense. Let's move on to our second point, the Jazz's offense. Yeah, so I dug this one up, and this one was I found extremely interesting. I tweeted it as well as a preview to the show. Before the injury, uh, the Jazz were shooting 19.5% of their shots as open threes. So open threes being no defender within four feet. And they shot a good percentage. They were shooting like roughly a top 10 percentage in the league on those types of shots, which I think is a little better than we may have expected from them. Mm -hmm. After the injury, however, that percentage has gone up from 19.5% of their shot attempts to over 32% of their shot attempts, which is, by the way, the most in the league. So almost double. Almost double, and they're shooting the highest percentage of their field goal attempts as open threes. Meaning, very clearly, the space has changed, for the, which I, is not surprising to anyone, right? When you, Gobert, for all of his, his talents on the defensive end, he's not very conducive to offensive spacing, especially right. when you're playing him with another guy in favors who can't shoot threes. Right. I mean, when you're playing Trey Lyles out there as part of the starting unit, we saw it last night, you have him around the three-point line, and he, you know, he showed the ability to make that shot. Yeah, and 
I mean, what I found, I do think it's interesting that they haven't really gone small at all, except in that first game mm-hmm. without Gobert, and to still see this, because uh, Trevor Booker's not a three-point threat. Nobody's guarding him out there. No. He's played a decent amount, and Lyles is still, like, he's, he's got more of a threat, I think, than Booker does, but he hasn't proven himself to be knocked down or anything. No. Guys, are, guys are not coming out there with 18 seconds left on the shot clock to make sure he's not shooting a three. But I do think, I think you're right that there is something here that can be used kind of long term yeah. is that the Jazz are realizing that they can get offensive looks, uh, good looks from the, from the perimeter. You know, you look at like Gordon Hayward's shooting night last night. Those weren't plays really. They were just pick and rolls run for Gordon Hayward. And then Carmelo Anthony went under the screen and Gordon Hayward just took those shots because yeah. they were the right sort of shots to take in the Jazz's offense. Those sort of quick threes, um, which are probably the best sort of shots you're going to get in the possession anyway, because, you know, three is more than two. I, I have absolutely no problem with them taking more of those. Way more. In, in fact, Hayward in particular. If, yeah. if Hayward started taking three or four more threes a game, I, he's shooting 50% from three in his last 10 games. I'd be totally fine if he decided he wanted to shoot like four more a game. That'd be great with me, right? Because they're going down. Um, and I think also part of it is just flat out. We've seen earlier in the year sometimes they will pass up open threes. They're just doing that less. Yeah, which no, that's is true. And that's that should be a thing no matter whether Gobert is in the lineup or not. When there's an open three, the Jazz have like four guys who are a, a, around the forty percent range from three this year. If it's any of those guys with the ball and they have a, a three that is not going to get blocked, they should be shooting that shot. Like pretty much all the time, right? Yeah, no, you're you're right. And again, it's it's hard to make a three point shot an inefficient shot. Yeah, basically. Yeah, right? like I that's... mean, there was an article on five thirty eight last week from Ben Morris, who's fantastic, by the way, about Steph Curry, basically insinuating that the well, there is a reasonable argument that Steph Curry should but, shoot like double the shots he does. Yeah, but because... not even for Steph. Curry, no, I obviously know. the I'm... Jazz don't have Steph Curry, but right. like for any player, uh, I you know. Even in like a Trey Burke three-point shot at the percentages he shot last season, it's still not like a bad idea. And the ones he's shooting this year, it's a great idea. Every right. single time he shoots it, it's a, that you right. want, as long as it's not getting blocked, I want him shooting that shot pretty much every time. Even um, with guys like Howell Neto yep. or Trevor Booker, for Christ's sake. Or like, Rodney I mean, Hood, whose percentage has been terrible, but there's no way it's going to stay that way. We're going to talk about that with Dan. Hopefully no way. I hope, yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, one more stat I found really quick. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz were assisting on just under 50% of their baskets before Gobert went down, which was a pretty low percentage in the league. They're now perf- uh, up to about 58%, which doesn't sound like a ton, but I think that moves you up close into the top 10 in the league, actually, as far as percentage of assisted baskets. Like It's it's legitimately surprising to me that the this offense with this talent is a, what are they, 11th right now in offensive rating? Is it even that high already? I think so. Uh, let me let me just make sure. But it was before Gobert. It was around around league average. So obviously it's gone, which is not surprising. They've been really good offensively in those four games. I didn't even grab the number over that four games. What their number has been? Yeah, it's, been, it's been one hundred eight and a half over those four games, which is like that's really good. <laughs> that's right. that's better. That's better than Oklahoma City has been for the year this season. That's that would be second behind only Golden State for the year. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, sorry, I'm just looking up the Jazz's offensive rating right now. Very good. Yeah, what is it? Uh, it is 11th. Yeah, so I was right. Woo! Um, nice. So yeah, for this team to be 11th, the 11th best team defensively in the league, with uh, starting two rookies in Howell Neto and Trey Lyles, Trey Lyles who, who neither of which are good offensively right now, um, and then kind of basically your only starting unit offensive threats are Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors. Rodney Hood's shooting terribly. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that's fair to say. He's shooting 41% on the year, 29.5% from three. Uh, you know, it's just not. Hasn't been good. Right. Um, 
And yet, this team is still doing well offensively. And I think it's time to, like, recognize that Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors are star-level players. I mean, Gordon's I, numbers over the last 10, he's, he's averaging, like, 22-5-4 on 50% from three and 50% from the field. I only bring this up because it drives me crazy to talk to people, just, you know, random people who are jazz fans who, you know, aren't reading Salt City Hoops every day and, and aren't, you know, listening or following us on Twitter or whatever the case might be. Read Salt City Hoops every day! I mean, you should, but (laughs) even if you don't, you should still recognize that Gordon Hayward is the truth and Derek Favors (laughs) is the truth. And like these guys are star level players who deserve max level contracts and that we're still having arguments in the KSL comments section or whatever about whether or not Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors deserve the money that they're getting is ridiculous. Reading the comments, Andy. Well, reading the comments. I mean, I work at the place. You work at the place. I work at the place. I never read the comments, (laughs) ever. That's Um, that's a fair point. No, I I think what you're saying is absolutely true. I think you also have to give some credit to Quinn Snyder as a coach because other teams have a couple of of very good offensive players surrounded by maybe not as good offensive players, and they don't manage the same kind of numbers, especially when some of those other teams we're talking about or those offensive players are guys that can shoot but maybe can't do much else. The Jazz have guys that can do a few other things but can't shoot in some cases. But you might, like, look at the Kings, for example, and they probably have better offensive talent than the Jazz do. Um, Although uh, they're up on that list, too. They're up in the They're, I think, 14th right now, offensive rating. Uh So, I mean, again, basically that the Jazz are doing better than those teams despite having two to three capable offensive players in their starting lineup and probably four to five overall is pretty impressive. Yeah, I definitely agree. Did you? So did we want to briefly preview OKC? Yeah, let's do that quickly. Because um, basically the stuff I wrote was a bunch of questions <laughs> for the okay. most part. Because that really, for me, I think Oklahoma City is a really bad matchup for the Jazz in general. Not just the which, fact that they have more talent, which they do. Yeah. But I just, I just think in general from a, from a, like I feel like San Antonio might be a better matchup for the Jazz, even though bo- both those teams are more talented. But I Great. think San Antonio might be a team the Jazz have more chance against. It's interesting because the Jazz beat San, or beat Oklahoma City both times they came to Salt Lake uh, last year, yeah. and then the first time they came to Salt Lake this year, the Jazz got blown out. It was a trouncing. And, and I don't again the the roster hasn't changed that much, right? No. Now and neither has their style all that much. Royce Oklahoma Young City's roster has changed in that Kevin Durant is healthy. That's but the Jazz a big have figured change. out <laughs> right. But the Jazz have kind of figured out how to play against Russell Westbrook, or at least kind of showed last year that they can slow down Russell Westbrook and, and, and make him uh, an inefficient shooter. Right. Like when he's playing by himself, at least. Right. And even when he was playing by himself in the last matchup this season, they didn't do that at all. So I think, I, I, I'm, I think it's too quick to say that the Jazz, this is a terrible matchup for the Jazz. I think we may see a close game tomorrow. I, I'm, it's certainly not out of the question, and here's what I think would – I didn't write this down, but I, as I'm thinking about it, I, I based on a conversation I had with someone in the Jazz organization, the, I think the way you go is you almost try and, you almost try and funnel to – one of those guys is going to do stuff, right? Like you can't – it's very hard to get out of those games where you can shut both those guys down, right? right. If I'm shading in one particular direction with my defense for the most part, I'm shading to where – Let's make Russell take 25 shots and beat us sure. if we're going to – rather than – because I, the, the person I talked to basically said we've, there are times where you kind of want him to make the first shot or two because then he's going to take 15 more. You know he's going to take 15 more no matter what, whether it's there or not. And then you can kind of start clamping down and kind of change the way that you, that you look at it, but he's in that mindset from there. And I, that's very unscientific for the most part, but I also think it's – it's almost the lesser of two evils, and and they're no, think, very, very I think evil. That's true. Extremely evil. And, like, <laughs> and I think both of those guys are top five NBA players. Oh no way! Um, no, no, no question. But 
yeah, it's it's just a hard matchup. I, I, you know, if you're smart, I think you you can leave Oklahoma City's two guards and three guards and three wings, whatever you want to say, and put a lot of attention on on those guys. Yeah. I don't know that the Jazz are doing specific matchups defensively well yet. Yeah, I think I might agree with you there. What's one thing I want to see tomorrow night when when Andre Roberson is on the floor, they better not guard him at all. Right. You don't guard that guy at all. If you can put two guys almost completely on Durant and just not guard that guy. And I don't know, I basically I don't think the Jazz do that well where they right now Quinn Snyder is so focused on having them play their system all the time defensively that they almost don't you know, they sure they they hedge off of Andre Robertson more than they would other guys, but maybe not as much as they should. Yeah, or Tony Allen, same kind of thing. They were on and off with it last year in the time because I actually remember specifically breaking down the Roberson thing. Is it Robertson or Roberson? Whatever. Last year when they put, when they had that win against the Thunder, and they there was a couple times they did a good job, and a couple times where they could have done way more. Because listen, a Andre Roberson wide open corner three is highly preferable to Russell Westbrook flying at the rim with only one guy yeah. on him. You yeah. would much rather have that second guy coming over and making that that way tougher of a layup than you would have on you know him making that in or with wow I can't speak with the alternative <laughs> no, being I, Andre Roberson shooting an open three. Yeah, I that that totally makes sense. And and you know to be clear I think the Jazz should be heavily uh, the the heavy underdogs in this game, especially without Rudy Gobert to try to dissuade Kevin Durant and when Westbrook from getting to the rim as much. Um, but that being said, if, if they play defense like they did last night against the Knicks and play well offensively, I could see them, you know, keeping it close in a shootout, kind of like in in the Pacers game. Yeah, because I think the way the Jazz have been playing offense lately, I don't think OKC is going to have much answer for that. Honestly, if the Jazz are able to do the get the kind of movement going that they've had, it's it's honestly not that easy to stop that for anybody. That's a good point. And Oklahoma City's late game offense is still as bad as a, as ever been. Still been a little weird. Yeah, yep. I bet we see more Elijah Millsap like we have the last few games as kind of like a stopper type guy. For Dur- be, even though he's not great on Durant like types because Durant draws too many fouls. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the NBA All Star balloting that just opened today. Does Derek Favors deserve to make it? We'll take a look at that, as well as the rest of the Western Conference All-Star rosters, who we think, you know, so far through 20 or so games, who we think should probably make the All-Star team. That's next up on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Ben and I have spent the break trying to figure out the... The status of the Western Conference uh, all-star roster and especially the front court of that roster. So what we did was to kind of took the the cream of the crop of the Western Conference front court uh, and then looked at how many front court players made it last year. So remember, in the starting lineup, there are two backcourt and three front court positions for the fans to vote on. And then coaches select the rest of the bench. Uh, so last year, there were the three front court players, and then the coaches selected five front court players for the bench. So eight total spots. And in those eight total spots, the following players have to be uh, filled, fill those eight slots. And, you know, maybe there are other guys in the Western Conference, but I think this is pretty clearly start the at, group that's going to be there. Start at the top locks, like the guys that are for sure 100%, and then go okay. down from there. And I'll count. Okay. Uh, I don't have it in this order, so I'm going to try. But Kevin Durant. One. Uh, Blake Griffin. Two. Kobe Bryant. Three. Because and of there's, the, there's the no, fan voting. They re, by the way, just for those who didn't hear today, they reclassified Kobe to a forward, meaning that when he gets voted in, which he will, he is he will take a forward slot. Anthony Davis. Four. 
Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Yep, five. Uh, any else on anybody else on that list who's like a true? I would be gigantically shocked if Draymond Green did not make the All Star game. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, Six, but it, I would also be gigantically shocked if Tim Duncan was not voted in. Yeah, by but the coaches. I almost. Uh, He's I would been almost great. Be gigantically shocked if if. Okay, so Tim Duncan or Dirk Nowitzki? Oh, definitely Tim. Okay. Definitely Tim, but I think that I think that Tim is near a lock. I heard him suggested for defensive player of the year the other day by somebody I really respect, Danny LaRue. Like they and I and his point was really good. Like Tim Duncan could be a defensive player of the year candidate this year right now. Okay. Well, I think he's almost and he's got every bit of legacy you could possibly want going for him. Which okay. I still and maybe we disagree here, but I still think the coaches take that into pretty heavy consider not no, I, like, it's not like their deciding factor, but I think they think about it. But yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um I think more so with guys like Tim Duncan than with Dirk Nowitzki. Maybe. Um Yeah. Although Dirk has been, I don't know if Dirk's been all-star level good, but he's been legitimately good, and whatever legacy he has might be enough to push him over the top. Okay, so how many names have we said so far? Six, and that's not including Dirk. So we've, with the remaining two spots, I guess, we've got Derek Favors, DeMarcus Cousins, Draymond Green, Anthony Davis. No, 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 I counted Green. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Anthony Davis, Mark Gasol, LaMarcus Aldridge, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. And only two of those guys can make it. Maybe. And maybe even not two because they only took seven guards last year. They might take seven forwards this well, year and take eight you guards. Look at, you look at the names I just read The off, front court is stronger. And I, would hope I they think take the more. front court is stronger. Yeah, I so. would agree. I would agree. Um, Boogie, uh, it's hard to imagine DeMarcus Cousins not making the All-Star game. Really? I he, think it's he, pretty easy to imagine it. I mean, he made it last year and they were worse, right? Uh, and were missed, they worse? And, and I don't think missed, they were worse because they started off the season well under Mike Malone. But then they were they and were in the toilet I think by the Boogie's time. Boogie's been worse this season. Do you think so? I I can confess that I haven't looked quite closely enough at Boogie's overall numbers compared with last year to know that. Yeah, I I think and again I mean, he's still is 16th in the league in PER, but so I'm looking him but up. But right Derek now, Favors, what's Derek Favors? 10th or 9th? Okay, so let's if if we're just doing it based on PER, Derek Favors should be on the All Star game, no question. You're, as I look over DeMarcus's overall numbers, you're right. He has actually taken a bit of a step back this year. So I don't think I, – I, I'm not worried about DeMarcus Cousins as, as competition for I, Now, this is where – this is part of what our debate was in the break before we got back on is I, I – and I – you know, a lot of this is, is speculation to some degree from both of us, but I think that even NBA coaches still have – fairly large biases as far as player legacy and as far as uh, just as far as recency bias they're in their heads in most coaches heads DeMarcus Cousins is a level above Derek Favors because for I think it's fair to say for four years until this year that's been the case see and I I don't know if that's still the case because oh it's in in reality it's not no, but even in the coach's opinion, you look okay. at the records of the Kings versus the record of the Jazz, um, the, the narratives re- regarding those two teams, and quite frankly, how difficult they are to play right now, and I think it's probably Derek Favors. I mean, I asked Carmelo Anthony about this yesterday, is who would you rather face, uh, Gordon Hayward? You know, who's, who's more dangerous for you guys? Is it Gordon Hayward or Derek Favors? And he said Derek Favors... Easily, I, but if he, I wonder what he would have said if you had asked him who's more dangerous at a Gordon at a Derek Favors and Demarcus Cousins, because you fair. know the, uh, that's the other part of and the reason but why I he's think a that, number, what I'm saying is Derek Favors is the number one guy on the Jazz's depth chart right now for a team that's right now seventh in the West in, in terms of their overall record. Fair, and you know I, I I in in reality I agree with every word you're saying. I think that Favors has been demonstrably better than so Cousins saying, this year. 
Okay, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong player. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I, I just think that I think he's been demonstrably better. But I think there's a, and I, we were, to, we, we were talking over the break about Gasol within this same kind of context. I think there's zero question whatsoever that Derek Favors has been a, a more valuable player than Marc Gasol this year. Yeah, Marc Gasol has put up a 17 per. No, and, and again, I 1 million percent agree. Derek Favors has been better by a wide, by potentially wide margin. I'm just not sure if the coach's decisions are going to reflect that. And I, 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 I want to I think, think I'm wrong. I would I really enjoy being wrong on this. I, and I think you are wrong. I think you're just being – I think this is your world against us problem. Hey, and if, if I hadn't seen it as many <laughs> times as I've seen it, then I, you know, I would but maybe I'd think differently. Okay, so when, when does this sort of thing you – know, what, what's a recent example of this sort of thing happening in a coach's all-star selection? Well, I mean, the most recent time with the Jazz was when they had two legit candidates back with sure. Al Jefferson and, and Paul Millsap. And I'm, again, I don't know that either of them necessarily had the case favors does. Exactly. Um, but I also don't were, know that the crop of forwards in the West was as strong. Neither of them were ever top eight at player, player efficiency. But I also, as I said, I don't know that the top of the West was this strong. And, you know, b- b- the fact that Kobe got moved over to front court is a, is a big hurt. So big, you, that's yeah, one no, less I, spot. I agree. But you're telling do we have time me that, for me to rant about that again? No, I'm not going to do it. You're telling me that the seventh, the player who is ranked seventh in PER right now, is not good enough to make the All Star. No, roster. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm, I don't agree with this at but all. I, Again, I've ranted about this process like a hundred times. I think it's ridiculous. I think the recency bias with it is idiotic. But I think it's the reality of what we've seen. And in I think years. you're, I think you're putting too much emphasis on like people being irrational and not enough emphasis on the but reality I'm, I'm, of the situation that is Derek Favors is really good. But I'm basing it on reality. Pau Gasol started the All-Star game last year for the Eastern yeah, Conference. That's, but like, again, that's voting. That's that's fan voting. That's different. That's, that's true. That's fair. I, I uh, Kobe Bryant doesn't deserve to be there, but he's going to be there. Yeah. But I, will the coaches choose Kobe Bryant? I mean, the coaches Kobe. chose Dirk last year. Dirk okay. had a terrible year last. No, I mean not by not like t- by NBA standards, but by his standards. I don't think he had a terrible first after the season. I guess maybe not. I don't, I'm 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 mostly just basing this on on I, what I think is more than a year's worth, like several years worth of experience. That it's not. And I'm not saying national media hates the Jazz. I'm not saying they hate small markets. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying it's hard when you've never been an All Star before, and there's lots of guys that have a lot of times and still are you know not totally outside their primes or are still playing well. That it's an uphill climb for you generally. And then yeah. that's just how it's been for a while. And I'm just worried it's going to I I will lead the Derek favors for all star bandwagon because he absolutely deserves it. I just uh, so I, I look at guys who deserve it. And I look at in the Western Conference, my eight would be Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Derek favors, Draymond Green, Blake Griffin, Anthony Davis, uh, Kawhi. Tim Duncan. I already said Kawhi. I oh, you did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Kobe. It has to be. Okay, fine. I'll put Kobe as the eighth. I mean, if I if I'm choosing, I'm not choosing Kobe well, Bryant as one of them. Of but course, but sure, we have let's to have assume Kobe as the eighth. Yeah, you but, have to assume that's happening. So that so you're leaving out. You know, I I don't think it's uh, the big one. I think that you'd have trouble with publicly would be Boogie there. I don't think there'd be too much trouble leaving out Gasol or Dirk. No one's uh, who's. Uh, Who's getting on me for leaving out DeMarcus Cousins over Derek Favors? I think opinions of DeMarcus Cousins' talent level and value added on the floor are very high. Right, but that's that's a very easy argument to make, that I can point to the stats and say, look, he's got a better PER so far this season. His team's got more wins. He's a better defender. Uh, You know, he's actually probably got less talent around him this season. What? 
I, I don't can know if I agree that with that argument. part, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you've you've got you've got again, you, your points are more than fair to the logical person and to the you know, not saying that NBA coaches aren't logical. I'm just saying that sometimes their process of making these decisions is different from what our I don't know that we're objective in this case, but we're somewhat close to objective uh, process is, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and yet it's really hard because Demarcus Cousins is scoring 25 and 10. Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing is that you know what? Even as much as you'd want to think it's not the case anymore, you say you shove twenty five and ten in a coach's face. That's still something that he's going to pay attention to, even in this era of we understand efficiency and we understand that you know per game stats like that aren't perfect and so on and so forth. Dudes averaging twenty five and ten as a center can shoot threes, can can you know can shoot from the mid range is one of the the beastliest individual scores on the post in the last ten years in the league. Sure, that's I, I just think it's. It's he's got certain parts of his game that in some ways are sexier than because is is Derek Favors game sexy in any way? I know that sounds ridiculous again. <laughs> right. But it, no, you're it, not. It is the least sexy. And that's the problem but, is that. It's, but I it's, can also point to DeMarcus Cousins shooting 41 percent from the floor right now. Yeah. I, again, I, from an objective standpoint, I really don't think it's the least bit uh, homerific of us in any way to say Derek Favors is having a markedly better year than DeMarcus Cousins is having from nearly any standpoint. You can look at it. But. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins has made, what, two, three All-Star games already to this point? Uh, at least two. I think, I think last year was his first. Oh, actually. was it really? Oh, well, yeah. okay. Then last he, year was his first. So he's it's a one-time All-Star. This is not a, a, a great tradition of DeMarcus Cousins' All-Star. Sure. This is a one-year All-Star. Cousins barely made it last season. He's gotten worse this season. He's shooting only 41% from the field on a worse team and shooting – ridiculous numbers of shots everyone knows that he's a head case he's shooting let's see over he's shooting 20 shots per game that is crazy that favors is shooting nearly 55 percent and and right. cousins is shooting 41 right that's nuts i mean i didn't even realize the gap was that large and so, I, I i again i again the, i think the gap is big and now that i'm looking at it more it's even bigger than i think i had initially thought it was but i i'm worried i'm just worried i know that you're the, worried the, but the, I, the, the voters that and the coaches do this a certain way and Really sucks that Kobe's going to have to do this thing again, and so on and so forth. Here's the other thing. Coaches are a lot smarter than they used to be. That's true. Oh, no. Right? No like, the coaches that may have used to look at only points per game and then rebounds per game, I don't think they're looking at that as much anymore. You know, there's only one Byron Scott in the Western Conference. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, um, again, Scott I really hope— probably voting for DeMarcus Cousins, but I'm not sure that, like, Popovich is— I hope I hope the league has come further than what I'm giving credit for as far as that sort of stuff because it'd be great. Derek deser- Derek completely deserves it. He deserves to be recognized for what he's. You're done. just a hater. That's all I'm, I'm saying. I'm not a hater. <laughs> I I just I I believe in the potential of the human spirit of the of the coaches. Uh, intelligence in choosing these things. Should we start I think trading we from Derek? Should Favors. we start trading off every time there's a visiting coach here that we're interviewing, just asking them if they think That's Derek Favors really deserves idea. to be an All Star? Who do you think Billy Donovan votes for? Well. I mean, he'll probably vote for Ibaka. Yeah, that's which weird. is honestly fair. We yeah. didn't even mention him. But well, okay, he can't vote for his own guys, though. Oh, you're right, he can't. But first of all, we should mention that Ibaka might be in that conversation too, and he has also yeah. never made the All Star game. Although I think once again, it's pretty demonstrable that Favors is having a better year than him. Yeah, there are so many good players in the Western Conference. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the other problem that with is this really is that you problem. look at those eight names that are those like ten-ish players that we just named, and you take out Kobe because he's been terrible. Obviously, that you've got five of the, like, 12 best players in the league in that group. Yeah. And that sucks. Like, that's really hard to yeah, get no, in, you're, you know. You're right. I mean, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And that's it's, – it's an impossible battle. 
I think Derek Favors, if he keeps up this performance, really does have a chance to make it. Maybe as so. an injury sub, uh, something like that. But I, I think he, he may end up being one of those guys who, who sneaks in somehow. I hope you're right. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, I want to talk about the Jazz's last 10 games uh, using Quinn Snyder's metrics. This is an article I actually wrote for KSL 10 games ago. Now it's kind of looking at how Quinn Snyder evaluates a team. How are the Jazz stacking up over the last 10 games? We'll look at that next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson here with you alongside Ben Dowsett. We're the editors of saltcityhoops.com, ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. So in this short little segment, I wanted to talk about how the Jazz have done in the last 10 games. And in fact, I wanted to do it by the method that Quinn Snyder does it, which is uh, with these seven statistics I'm about to introduce to you. I was telling Ben this story over the break, but I actually had a... Uh, I've been into the Jazz's uh, locker room at Zions Bank Basketball Center, and on that whiteboard, they have these seven statistics broken up into 10-game stretches throughout the season. So at each point, Quinn Snyder, or probably, let's be honest, an assistant, will go up there and write how the Jazz have done in each of these categories so the Jazz have kind of an idea of how good they've been at certain characteristics of their game throughout the last stretch of games. Now that the Jazz are 20 games in... Uh, I think now is the right time to do that second uh, column, if you will. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. So the first one, there are three on offense and four on defense. The first one is uh, expected, or what is what does the E stand for? In effective. Effective, thank you. Effective field goal percentage. Um, I'm interested that he doesn't use true shooting percentage. So I, I would prefer, I, I don't love that, wait, which one has free throw percentage? Free throws ha- is true shooting. I don't like that. True shooting has free throws. You like them separate? I like them separate. Okay, that's fair enough. And I, I think, guess Quinn Snyder likes the same thing, so. Uh, yeah, because I think one is off on ball and one is kind of dead ball, and I, I like having them right. separate. So where have they been there? The so they've time? been ninth so far in the season, uh, shooting 50.5%. Is that um, just for, sorry, is that just for games 11 to 20? Or yes, is that for correct. Okay, all right. Yep. What's so the next ninth one? overall. In the, uh, uh, next one, second statistic is what he calls pass rate. Which I haven't really been able to figure out what he's, uh, which stat he uses there. Right. But it's the Jazz are currently third in passes per game and twenty seventh in assists per game. That can't be turning out well, because I mean the the efficient the number of passes is good, but the efficiency of passes is so really that's bad. that's really what I I'm curious about, and I haven't had a chance to ask him this, and I kind of want to do it off the record. Um, is is it when he tracks pass rate? Is he tracking just ball movement around the team? Because if so, passes per game is a reasonable way of doing that. Or is it the effectiveness of those passes? I would think he's too smart of a guy to just be tracking the number of passes. He's got to know that some of the passes that are, that are built into his system are not incisive passes. No, and that but that's going to be a, a improper that, indicator of what things are. But he, are, I mean, he's talked about the benefits of having passes for kind of passes' sake in the in. The, in the past, like last night, for example, you talked about when a team passes the ball around to create a shot, it's not anymore my shot, it's our shot. And I think he likes that offensive philosophy. That was a really good quote of his, by the way. Uh, the third it, it one. Was. You want me to read this one? Sure, go ahead. Team turnover percentage. 
This has been really good all season, and particularly within the last 10 games, they are the third best in the league with just 16.9%. False. That, I think oh, that's the other that's way the around. Wrong. Oh, they are <laughs> the third worst. They oh, have the God. third most turnovers. It was good at the start of the year then, so I'm mixing yes. it up with that. My fault. But over the last stretch of 10 games, the Jazz Ooh. have actually turned the ball over quite a bit. That's not good. Which is interesting. Uh, last night against the Knicks, they had one turnover in the first half and then 13 in the second half. Um, so it's something to watch for. I think they have been giving up the ball a little bit more than, than they'd like. Okay. Um, on the defensive ones, defensive rating, the Jazz are 25th over the last 10 games. Obviously, four of those games are without Rudy Gobert, but six of them aren't, and yeah. they didn't play well during those games. No, that's not good. Transition defense, uh, something that obviously Quinn Snyder cares a lot about. Two different ways to look at this is how frequently you're giving up transition opportunities and then how good you are at defending them. I think the first one's more important, personally. The Jazz are, I think both are important. I'll, you know, hedge and say that. The Jazz are currently um, allowing transition opportunities 13.3% of the time, which is 15th best in the league, so right in the middle. And then they're allowing 1.13 points per possession. That's 24th in the league um, over the last over for the season. So that's a decrease in how good they are at preventing those uh, transition opportunities from scoring, but an increase in how often they're able to prevent them from happening in the first place. So they're getting back more often, but teams are still able to score, I guess. I, and I, I think that that's a little more important, to be honest, is that if you can, because when teams get good, a lot of transition chances are just good chances. That's just how it works. Yeah. And when you can prevent as many of those as possible, I, in general, I think it's a good thing. But clearly, like, having bigger players get back would be better, or, yeah. you know, defending in a wall, that sort of thing yeah. would, would make a big difference. Form, anyway. Two more categories. Uh, opposing effective field goal percentage, the Jazz are 24th in that in the last 10, 10 games. Ooh. That's, or ten, yeah, 10 games. So that's that's bad. That's 52.1%. Yeah, Again, that fits with what we know about their defensive rating, 25th in the league. And then the percentage of shots that they can test, where they have a defender within four feet, they were 20th in the league over the last 10 games, 53.9% of shots. In short, I don't know that Quinn Snyder is going to be thrilled about his metrics overall, especially not the defensive ones over those last 10 games. No, I agree. And it's, it's something to keep watching for. We'll keep doing kind of this update on how the Jazz's last 10 games are doing. We, on the other hand, need to take a break really quickly here on ESPN 7. Next, we've got Dan Clayton joining the show. Football Sunday on ESPN Radio. The Carolina Panthers look to become the eighth team in NFL history to start the season 13-0. Up next, the Atlanta Falcons. Coverage begins Sunday at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. We are Salt City Hoops, ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. I am Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett. That was a gimmick. I didn't think went that well. Just shouting <laughs> the names and of us and the name of the radio show. But good news, I won't doing. ever try it ever again. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. On the line, we've got Salty Hoops writer Dan Clayton joining us. Dan, one of our favorite followers on Twitter and, of course, great to work with on Salty Hoops. Um, and just one of the smartest basketball basketball guys you'll you'll ever meet. Um, Dan, how are you? Hey, that's flattering. How's it going, Andy? I am doing well. I I by the way, I'm visiting you soon, and I'm very excited to see you in like a month and a half. Oh yeah, that's true. The uh, the Knicks Nets almost back to back. 
Yeah, I mean, basically, I'll be in New York City for, I believe it's four days. So, like, at some point, we'll see. I mean, certainly at those games, we'll see each other. Yeah. Having yeah, definitely. Well, I'll have to <laughs> show you all the best places to get a burger or a slice or a, you know, you can tell how sign- how sophisticated my dining habits are. But, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, uh, to Ben's point, I actually did the trip for free, like a little bit, right? I used credit card points to do the the flight here nice. and back. Okay. I'm staying at a friend's place up in New York. Like, that works. it's all it's all happening. I'm trying to do something similar for All Star Game because I got all that family up in Toronto. Yeah, get there it done. Go. Let's let's make it happen. We need Salted Hoops representation in Toronto for the All Star Game. Uh, Dan, let's talk about the Jazz. First of all. What? We want to talk to you about uh, Rodney Hood shooting because that was a topic for you um, in your article today. Uh, what's going on there? Is there anything that's actually changed, or you know, what's is it is it a confidence thing? Is it just sometimes guys miss? What what's going on? Yeah, I, I tend to believe that it's more about randomness and and just how um, you know how relatively small a sample we're still working with, not games-wise. I mean, you know, you're a quarter of the way into the season. So, you know, from a how the team is playing standpoint um, and, and other larger t- statistical trends, I think we have enough numbers that we can trust. But as we know, um, you know, shooting shooting samples tend to be pretty volatile, and especially three-point shooting. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy who still has taken, I think, under 300 three-point attempts in his career. Let me check that. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of room, there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, a few misses to swing you one way or another. And really, Rodney's shot looks great. And the point I made in today's Salt City 7 was just the fact that, um, you know, behaviorally, like if you look at where he's getting his shots, how he's getting his shots within the offense, not that much has changed. Some of the distribution has changed a little bit if you look at, you know, above the break threes versus corner threes, um, off the catch versus pull up, like m- slight changes there. But for the most part, he's getting very similar looks. It still looks like a great silky smooth shot, and some of them just aren't going down. Yeah, guys, the the Salt City Seven that Dan referenced in there, by the way, is a piece he's been doing every week of the season so far. It's really good. I think it's the most consistently good content we have on the site at this at this point. Honestly, it's it's a rundown of many things jazz. You need to check it out every Thursday. Went up earlier today. Um, Dan, I did have one question, then, and this is like, give me fifteen seconds on this, just because it's a smaller one. Is have you ever wondered if the arc on Rodney's three point shot is too flat? And and have have you ever wondered that as well? I was just thinking Not about really. it when I watched him and shoot around the other day. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, now I'm going to watch with that in mind. I mean, it's not like an Alec Burks shot that you could, you know, hang your clothes out to dry on it. That, uh, that's a good one. I'm, I don't know. I'll have to go watch that. It, it, it seems in my mind's eye like, like it's not, but uh, let me pay attention to that. And by the way, it, it is still under 300 for his career. He's taken 258 threes in his career. So, you know, a lot of room for noise. Isn't in, it they uh, say seven example. I think they say seven fifty is that how many it takes to truly stabilize a player's three point percentage? That yeah, feels really a little it feels a bit high to me. I know that's like technically what the math says, but like if a guy's a thirty percent three point shooter on five hundred attempts, I'm pretty confident he's not like a great three point shooter, yeah. you know. Um yeah. Another thing that you mentioned today in the Salt City 7, and we can only talk about it to a certain degree on the radio because we don't have video or pictures to illustrate this with or anything, but was that just every once in a while, the Jazz have incorporated a little bit more 
kind of creative play calling into their offensive game. And you highlighted what's called a high post split, where basically they enter the ball to favors in his normal spot in the high post there. But then instead of running what they would normally run from there, basically two guards and or wings. So in the play you illustrated, I think it was Hayward and Burke kind of do X crosses across favors, which forces the defense to make several decisions sort of at once about who they're going to stick with and who they're going to go with. Trey can vary things up by he can either continue his cut or he can pop back out and try and shoot a three if the defense leans too far one way. Just in general, because we we can't get too deep into any one individual play, but do you think this sort of thing, the whole varying it up a little bit from the more basic set offense that they have, should we be seeing a little more of that potentially from the Jazz, especially without Gobert in the lineup? Yeah, definitely. And I I think what we do see a lot of is that the Jazz will – um, will do an action like that and then have it flow right into another action so that the defense says, oh, okay, here it comes, they're about to split the post, but then they really don't split the post because Burke pulls back and goes right into a high pick and roll with favors, which they, you know what I mean? So it's stuff like yeah. that where like the defense maybe starts to think, okay, we know what's coming, and then that's why the next action is so successful um, and, and that's kind of what happened in the example in the, in the column today. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think the Jazz need to get um, a little clever sometimes, and obviously they do that already, but they also run out a lot of times and just sort of say, hey, let's run the flow. So they go out and they don't have a specific set of actions in mind. It's just sort of like, all right, we're going to run through our, our typical actions, our typical cuts. We're going to see what it creates. And... Um, you know, it's it's doing okay. The Jazz offense, actually, since Gobert has been hurt, looks really good. Their their offense would be uh, their offensive rating from the last four games would be second, the third best in the league if it was a season mark. Now, I thought it'd be second. Uh, oh, I, second? I, I yeah. think it because I think OKC is at like one hundred seven something for the year, and the Jazz are at like one hundred eight and a half for the last for the last. So maybe over those four games, it would be third. Maybe there's somebody who those four specific games has been has been better than OKC, but. I thought that's what I said. Either way, really point good. Is, yeah, yeah. Point is, they've uh, they've been doing all right offensively. Yeah. Um, but but particularly if they're going to go to some of these, um, you know, gloriously weird lineups, which I'm totally a proponent of. I think they have to start doing some more one big lineups to get through the next month or whatever it's going to be without Gobert. And if they do that, then I think um, you know the the more clever and sneaky they can get with some of these sets and misdirections and hey you think you're about to guard this but really it's flowing right into this and now you're out of position um that's been pretty successful for them and and will be will continue to be if uh if they're using some of those different lineups so you you just touched briefly on something i was going to ask in a second but now i'm going to ask it now and i was i wanted to ask both of you about this because i'm not actually sure what my thoughts are on this particular point. And you were talking about kind of uh, mixing up the looks and and putting more one big Titan, which would be small lineups in while Gobert is out and the way that the the offense has kind of run since Gobert is out, which has been, it's been very good. This is a big if because the defense has been almost equally bad during that period of time and not quite, but almost if the defense can stabilize itself to some degree before Gobert gets back. I'm not saying get back to being the best defense in the league, but at least get back to like being average or maybe slightly above average as it, like they were before he got hurt. Is what we're seeing now 
does it warrant consideration for longer stretches of maybe splitting up Gobert and Favors on the floor? And you, you certainly play your minutes with them together, and you can dominate teams with your size, but then you can totally change up the look kind of for longer periods at a time? Wait, you can't say this and then also say that, like, you should definitely start Jeff Withy alongside Derek Favors, right? Those are the opposite ideas. No, I know, but I— and I, they're, but they they're, both work in different contexts. Exactly. There. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, no worries. Dan's got my back. Dan's I got mean, my back. I mean, <laughs> honestly, that's my to, – to be brief, and then, you know, Andy, I'll, I'm anxious to hear your answer as well. But, I, you know, I think that that's – look, the, the Salt City – my weekly column the week before Rudy got hurt, I was proposing that. Not to start it, not to do it for, you know, 30 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game, whatever. But I think that that's something that they should absolutely be more comfortable going to and something I thought they would be more comfortable going to even before the Gobert injury. Um, obviously, one of the drawbacks to that is that, it, is that it puts favors in the five spot, and I think the four is a little bit suited to some of his strengths when you think about him working downhill or working from the slot or the elbow. Um, but I, But also, I think it's just... I think right now where the Jazz are most stocked in terms of rotational talent is on the wings. So the more you can do to maximize those, contribu- those contributions um, and, and maybe become less dependent on spots where the production hasn't been great, like the backup big men spots, I would, I would do it, you know, whether Rudy was healthy or not. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think it's crazy that the Jazz should be better at going smaller. Right? You know, I, I think that's something that they should have in their, you know, Tool, I don't know, toolkit, whatever, tool belt as something they can go to when they need it. But if you look at, to me, what the identity of this team is, or at least was during their stretch last season, I think what Quinn Snyder wants is this extremely excellent defensive team with a quality offense that gets you know efficient enough shots that they end up being pretty decent overall on the offensive end. And when the Jazz have played only one big man so far this season, they've been really bad this season, as shown by the last four games without Rudy Gobert. And then before that, you know, when they didn't have both Favors and Gobert on the floor, you guys pulled up the stat that I think they were plus eight uh, net rating when both of those guys are on the floor, which means that when both of those guys are, are one of those guys is not on the floor, then it's, it gets a lot messier for the Jazz. It can, but that I, also I, it does. No, actually. no, no. Well, but that's not just always saying that the Jazz are the, the Jazz are not playing small for one hundred of the percent of the minutes that Gobert and Favors don't share the floor. Right, they're playing right. with other bigs who aren't as good. Yeah, and and so I guess I'm saying sure. I I want to see more of and maybe even stuff with triple wing plus Neto. Um, yeah, but I I would do that at the expense of Trevor Booker's minutes, not the matchup of Favors and Gobert. Oh, no, and I'm to- and, and, I totally yeah, agree. That's way, not that's what I'm suggesting. That's totally what I'm proposing. I think, yeah. um, you know, Trevor has been, like, if, if Trevor gives you what 2014-15 Trevor gives you, then he's a really good rotational big, right? Aaron Hefner and I were talking about this today. You know, 35% on threes, although he didn't take a lot. Um, he, he plays with energy, although that doesn't always equate to good defense, but, you know, energy is energy. Um an elite offensive rebounder like last year's Trevor Booker is really good. That's not the Trevor Booker that the Jazz are getting right now. And so that's what I – and then, you know, Trey Lyles is learning the ropes, and Withy has been – has looked solid some games and not other games. So that's exactly what I'm proposing is you use some funky lineups where it's a guard, triple wing, and one of the bigs. 
to bridge those minutes that you would normally throw, be throwing, you know, 30 minutes or whatever, 20 minutes at Trevor Booker uh, in a year when I'm not sure that that helps the Jazz the most. I'm with Dan. That's basically what I was exactly what I was thinking. You you do your staggering differently so that you yeah. don't minimize the minutes of I. In fact, I would be fine with Favors playing a couple more minutes than what he's playing. So I I guess basically you're saying that first sub should not be favors for Booker. It should be favors for Joe Ingles. Somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or the or, or later, for you know Burks. you can go to it later. I mean the the reality is that like the amount of time any five-man unit plays together outside of the starting five is really low, right? So, you, yeah. like, no lineup is going to be spending half the game together. So I'm fine if it's something they go to to start second quarter or they go to in the second half or just that they are more comfortable going to it situationally when the opponent they're playing, you know, makes it a good call. I, I you know, I think it should be part of the diet. I, I'm not suggesting that that's all they eat. Yeah, I think I'd be with Dan there. So, Dan, we also wanted to talk to you briefly about the upcoming schedule, which is another item that you uh-huh. mentioned in your Salt City 7 today. We talked about it a bit earlier just as far as OKC, and we went into some of the difficulties of that matchup. Uh, I-, I posit that it's a pretty terrible matchup for the Jazz overall, and he thinks it's a little closer than I, and he has good points that the the Jazz have figured some things out with Westbrook last year. Obviously, KD adds a whole new kind of layer to things, but that still means something that you figured out. A, a, they're not figured out, but at least, you know done some good things against a superstar player of that caliber. I, though, think that there's a, a chance that the Jazz are a, a sneaky tough matchup for San Antonio but am I confusing that with what their identity is with Gobert? Like, can they still be that without Gobert currently? Um, well, let me back up and answer the big question that I think you're asking, which is, do the Jazz go 0-3 over the next three? <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. And, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a pretty good chance of it. I, I You know, these are three tough games. Uh, the, I think the thing they have working in their favor against OKC is that it's tough to sweep a home and home. It's tough to see the same team twice in a row and get them both unless you're just clearly in a different league from them. Now, OKC has kind of looked like they're clearly in a different yeah. league from Utah uh, when, when we saw those two teams in the preseason, then again a couple weeks ago. Um, San Antonio, I, I, I actually sort of agree with you on a matchup thing, Ben. I just also think that they're a team that has enough options, enough wisdom, enough veteran poise and just know how that it almost doesn't matter. Um, I, you know, having said that, I grab the remote on every jazz game night, fully expecting and hoping for a jazz win. Uh, but I think these are going to be three tough ones. And, and to be totally honest, the jazz would do well to get one out of those three. And I'd be ecstatic if they got two out of those three. I'm hopeful for tomorrow night because the, the, the Thunder will be on a back-to-back. So I think that's yeah. that's something to consider. Um, Jazz will have a day of rest. They haven't been great on rest, but they've been they've been good with one day of rest, maybe not so much two or three. Uh, and uh, I pointed this out that the, the two games that they played last season, they won um, at, in Salt Lake City. Now, yeah, that was without Kevin Durant, and that's a big deal. Um, but I, I, I think you're right, Dan, that it's really hard to win a, a home and home against a team. And quite frankly, I, I could see the jazz, uh, you know, getting a, a, you know, if you get an unlucky shooting night from Westbrook and Durant or, or one of those guys, um, you know, the, the rest of the roster is, is not that worrying. Plus, isn't this the second game in Salt Lake city already? Yeah. Yeah. 
which they so, got. So I guess here's the other thing, and and I know that like you don't win games this way or lose games this way, but um, that would mean that the Jazz would be 0-2 against the Thunder in Salt Lake City, which means you know likely going 0-4 against the Thunder on the year, and you know it's pretty hard to sweep a team too in a four-game series. So I mean there are reasons to say that hey it's just not mathematically very probable that OKC is going to get all four, that OKC is going to get these next two in a row. Um, I think the Jazz will have chances, but like I say, it's it's kind of they they looked like they were in a different class both when they uh, when they were in Utah in October and inspired that great Quinn Snyder rant about how the Jazz haven't done anything yet, um, and then again. Um, when they were here more recently, here, you know what I mean, when they were there, where you guys are, more recently, um, and similarly kind of ran away from the Jazz in that one. So, you know, they're they're tough. Those OKC and San Antonio are two of the elite teams in the NBA. They're two of the teams that will be, you know, standing well into May. So there's not a lot of shame in saying, hey, maybe the Jazz are or aren't there yet. Um, but I do expect that one way or another, these are going to be three tough games for Utah. Well, and, and Quinn Snyder almost said as much last night. Uh, I believe it was post game. He was kind of asked a question regarding, you know, the Jazz have kind of hovered around 500 for the last several weeks of the season. They've gone one game up, then gone one game below. They pretty much haven't been more than one game away from 500. And the question was, how do you get there? And Quinn sort of semi sarcastically said, well, one good way is you don't play two of the best five teams in the league over the next four days. Like, yep. You know, they're playing really good teams, and he almost I, – I, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, if I'm remembering it correctly. I think he basically said even if we lose, we hope that we take, you know, that we take good things away from the games and we yeah. play the way we want to effectively. And, and that's what Quinn Snyder says about every yeah. opponent yeah. a lot all the time. You know, if if you attend a Quinn Snyder press conference, he's going to say at some point that he cares about the, the process more than the results. That's just who he is. Yeah. I wonder if that ever. Yeah. Cha- I wonder if that ever changes. Like when they're a title contender, is he still going to be saying that? I'm really interested by. I that. mean, that's still how Pop is, right? Like, yeah, they they've got five rings, and Pop still gets irate when they're up twenty and blow a defensive yeah. rotation. So, uh, I think that's the culture Quinn comes from. I, I think that's sort of the level of spiritual adherence that he demands, for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 he is, uh, in fact, another thing that I referenced in the in the thing today, um, my quote of the week was a quote where someone asked Quinn about something very specific. I think I, that I think was me, was a, actually. Yeah, I'm was pretty it? sure it was me because I seem to remember that answer to the I could have been wrong, but. Yeah, so someone asks him a question about the Jazz's, um, the Jazz's first half execution against New York, and he launches into this, like, really just philosophical-sounding, like ethos-based comment <laughs> on, you know, the way the ball moves and, and who the Jazz want to be offensively. So um, that's that's just the great part about Quinn is that even when he's sort of toiling in the details, he always sort of has the bigger picture in mind, and it's uh, it's just a, a good example of why we're all lesser human beings. <laughs> oh, wait, it was Jody. It was That was Jody's I'm, question. I'm always amazed that he, like, doesn't react to referee calls more than he does. Right, like he has no idea what happened in the last play, and is still like coaching for the next one nearly all the time. Like if they get beat in transition D, he'll call a timeout. But other than that, he's like, "All right, let's figure out how to get the next play, the next play, the next play." Yeah, play it forward. That's what Jerry Sloan would say. But Jerry uh, would freak out at the refs too, right? Like he would challenge them to fight. Yeah. Quinn Snyder is not that guy. 
Yeah, sort of. Yeah, definitely with the referees. But Jerry had the thing he would do. Um, you know, Jerry clapped, and that was, to his team, that was shorthand for play it forward. That was, that was their sort of code on those Jerry Sloan coach teams for, all right, let's think about the next play. Let's, you know, let's move ahead. Let's get off of what just happened. Um, but a lot of fans didn't know that. So they would see the Jazz do something, you know, completely stupid, and then they'd see Jerry Sloan clapping like some senile old guy. <laughs> and people would be like, why is Jerry clapping at that? And it was like, no, 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 that's actually Jerry saying let's move on. But you're definitely right about the counterpoint on the, on the refs. Um, and I think, again, just back to principles, I think that's Quinn wanting his team not to be the type of victim mentality team or, to put it another way, a fixed mindset team um, that when things don't go well, they're looking outside of themselves to figure out why that's happening. Are you, are you David Locke? Because he's the only one who also talks about fixed mindset hey, and growth mindset from a basketball point of view. Not to be a total hipster about this, but I was on growth mindset way, way before <laughs> David Locke. I'm telling him you and said that. I can that. prove this, guys. I, uh, yeah, actually, st- when I was still back in Salt Lake City, we used the growth mindset book um, as sort of the theme for some stuff I was doing with my with my job back there. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely a believer in growth mindset. And you know who else is? Is Dan Van Gundy. He's very into that huh. um, and, and what he can learn about how to coach and, and how to get how to how to make people better by focusing on um, effort instead of focusing on talent like it's this fixed commodity that you either have or you don't. I like it. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to wax philosophical. No, no, that's like, that like a Quinn thing. We I just exactly we just talked about it. It's perfect. <laughs> All right, well, Dan, we got to let you go and, and go to a commercial break here. But, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. And tell us where we can follow you both on, on Salt City Hoops, I guess, on Salt City Hoops. And then what's your Twitter handle so we can follow you there? Dan Clayton with a zero for the O because someone else had Dan Clayton. <laughs> that jerk. You you <laughs> deserve the true Dan Clayton, Dan. For real. All right. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Take All right, it. like I said, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got Around the NBA coming up, talking about Al Jefferson's suspension. Mark Cuban said something fun, as always. And, of course, LOL Lakers. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett joining you. This time every week, we go around the NBA talking about the latest news and notes from the league. Yeah. Fun stuff and the serious stuff. Let's start serious and start with a patented Ben Dowsett rant. This is going to be fun. We got to put get music for my rants. Can I, we do that, John? We like, like just inspiring music. What kind of music I do you know. want? Some I don't know, like angry music or uh, uh, something. Just death my metal rants, in the background. My rants. No, I'm not saying during the rant. I'm saying like you say we've got a Ben rant and then like some. No, no, like, no, 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 no. There you go. <laughs> Hardcore. We got a great producer, man. This yeah, is we John didn't is tell him about this at all before beforehand. Donald Fall, it's the best person alive. He all right, just, well, with this he, this music's pumping no, me before, up. Before okay, but before we do, we have to congratulate Ben. This today was his last day of school. Oh, well, it was? Congratulate John, excuse me. You're graduating? I did. Last day of classes. I don't walk till May because okay. University of Utah. But right. But hey, congratulations. Thanks, That's man. huge, man. Yeah. Big day. Big day. Good day. Uh so anyway, 
Now, okay, back to the metal music, though. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Al Jefferson was suspended five games by the NBA, the only for violating their drug policy, and the only uh, rule that you can break in the NBA's anti-drug policy is that warrants a specific five-game suspension. Yeah, that warrants a five-game suspension. In particular, is the third offense for smoking marijuana. Ben, your thoughts? My thoughts. First, I would like to start off by saying that, yes, I'm aware marijuana is an illegal drug and still in the majority of the country, even in places where it's legal for medical patients, it's not legal for everyone, and it's against the NBA's rules. Here's the thing. Why is this against the NBA's rules? And more specifically, why is this against the NBA's rules to a level that other stuff that's way more damaging and way more revealing of negative character is not? The incident that I'm going to use as an example for this, which I tweeted on Twitter yesterday when uh, Jefferson's suspension was announced, is the fact that a few days earlier or a week or two or whatever it was with Jaleel Okafor, who is a 19-year-old who was filmed drunk outside of a bar that he is not legally allowed to be inside because he is 19 years old. He was then filmed punching a person and knocking them out while yelling at them about how much money he has and how they don't have any money. He received a two-game suspension. Al Jefferson just got five games for smoking three joints. In what world could that possibly be reflective on the values that we want coming from these players? I would have very different things to say. Well, no, I wouldn't, first of all. But I would, have, <laughs> I would, I would say that the, the five games by itself in a vacuum was more acceptable if this was, say, Al Jefferson's second or third usage of performance-enhancing drugs. Guess what? Marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug. Anyone who's ever done that drug before knows that it's really, in many ways, the opposite. It- so that's, I guess, where I would come in and say, look, if you're taking a performance-dehancing drug for the third time, which uh, presumably makes the NBA's product worse in some sense, right, by having a— it's Well, not- he's hurt, first of all. Should mention that. Yeah, which may be the cause of why he was taking it in the first Marijuana place. famously used as a painkiller around the country. But I—, I- I'm kind of on board. Look, I, I think this suspension is stupid, and it's probably too long, and it's something that's going to be looked at in the coming CBA. Yeah. I don't have any doubt about that. But if you break a rule for the third time, like, it's hard to complain a lot about the consequences. Oh, and I'm not even saying that there should be no consequences, because you know what? Quite frankly, if you know that's the rule and you know they're going to be testing you for it, then don't be stupid and don't do it. I'm not saying Al Jefferson is blameless in this situation by any stretch. I'm saying the fact that he can get that number of games while a person who— assaulted another human on camera at 19 while drunk outside a bar they were not legally allowed to be inside only gets two games i thought that's crazy and as you mentioned i think that this has larger implications as far as the cba goes i've heard from a few folks who i think know what they're talking about that marijuana testing in particular has actually been a big sticking point with the players union as far as renegotiating drug testing in the next cba nba drug testing for those who don't know is a joke it's really really bad you can be tested up to four times per year after that fourth time regardless of when it's it might be in february regardless you're done after that you can't be tested anymore if you get tested for the fourth time and you're good it's cool go do as much heroin and and cocaine as you want (laughs) after that because you are totally fine there's no problem that's that's terrible, and if the people who I've talked to have basically said if the, the, the league would have a much easier time, at least, who knows if they would be for sure, but they would have a much easier time getting a stricter performance-enhancing drug testing system in if they simply said, we're not going to test you for weed. If you're stupid and get yourself arrested for it in a place where it's not legal, then we'll have to take disciplinary action because that's against the law, right. the same way as assaulting someone is. But we're not going to proactively ourselves with our own testing agents 
test for drugs like marijuana because they just don't impact a player's game. Yeah, you pointed out that it's 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 kind of a negotiation, right? Like yeah. if you want something, if the league wants something in the next drug testing setup, then they'll probably have to give something up. And this seems like a really clear and easy way to, to do that. Yeah, and I've heard several people express the opinion that that's what will happen. Anyway, I think it probably and, will. And Ben Rant, it's kind of it's it's just the big the largest point of this is that that still for some reason in a major sports league major violence is being punished less than something that in reality matters way less than major violence which yep. and that's stupid in all areas all right and death metal here even though mark cuban's pretty metal he is yeah mark cuban uh spoke this week saying referees aren't calling defensive three seconds as much as they were before despite it being a league point of emphasis this season he's absolutely right by the way he like he's you know he's got the data for it i remember when we went to the media training camp this this uh this summer it was interesting because uh, talking to Jazz assistant coach Mike Wells, he actually said, you know, we're we're totally okay if our team gets defensive three-second calls because it means they're playing the right sort of defense, which has a lot of guys on the strong side of the floor. Um, obviously, you don't want to do that so you're getting like 10 a game or something, but mm-hmm. that's kind of reflective of the Jazz being where they need to be. And sure, if they're in the lane for longer than three seconds, it, it the team is ultimately okay with it. The punishment for playing that sort of defense has has gone down as referees have called fewer and fewer of these defensive three second calls. Yeah, I. Uh, I what is your kind of opinion? Do you, like, do you think it's a real sort of? Detra- I mean, it's obviously a detraction in the sense of if if players don't know the standard for what's being called and they don't, it's not consistent and so on and so forth. Do you think that it's a major detraction from the quality of play that that guys are being kind of allowed to stand there a little more frequently? No, I think it's actually kind of fine. Like, uh, you know, if if you're blatant about it, honestly, I would almost rather they change it to rather than three seconds, make it five seconds, and then actually call that. Yeah, like right? really, really hard line call that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be fine with that. That'd work for me. I, I okay, I, you know, in the Ben Dowsett and Andy Larson NBA. Yeah, let's let's do it. Sweet. Uh, Warriors, by the way, are still undefeated. Still haven't lost. I I don't understand. I mean, I do understand. They're very, very good. And Steph Curry is maybe having the best individual player season of all time. Oh, there's no question he is so far. But, and it's, the question is whether he can maintain this for the year, not whether it's the greatest ever at this point. That's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's insane. <laughs> the Clippers, uh, a little bit disappointing so far this season. They've already actually tried to gauge the trade market, the trade market excuse me, for Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith. Uh, who knew two that? guys who haven't played as much as probably you would expect, but uh, also known head cases. Who knew that bringing two guys in like that might end up being a problem for you down the line? You know, who knew that Lance Stevenson, whose team last year tried to gauge the trade market for him within like 30 games of him arriving in their facilities, then that's happening again. Not yeah. exactly a huge shocker. We know that these guys have been this way for a while. I, I Once again, good job, GM Doc. You've done a you've done a fantastic. But I job. thought GM Doc. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the season. I thought, thought GM did. Doc did a decent job. But I think that was people trying to put on rose colored, including myself, because I said it as well. I think we were trying to put on rose colored glasses that were never there. You look at the acquisitions of besides Wesley Johnson, who I actually think was a good acquisition by him and has played well for them. You look at what these guys who he acquired did last year, and they all sucked. Like they maybe not quite this bad, but none of them were good. Like Lance Stevenson was really bad. Paul Pierce was not as bad as he's been this year, but he was not very good. Like not up to his. Pretty good. I think that was inflated a bit by him hitting a few big shots at big moments. But he was still like like a 15 per guy, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think when we look back at it, we could have maybe seen this coming a little more than we did. And just knowing the history that Doc has as a GM of putting talent around his <laughs> stars, which has been terrible. Right. Uh, the 76ers announced Monday that they've hired Jerry Colangelo as a special advisor. Actually, it's called Chairman of Basketball Operations, but it's pretty clear that still Sam Hinkie will still have the ultimate say in what happens, but it's it's still kind of up in the air. Um Meanwhile, Adrian Wojnarowski of, of Yahoo Sports reported that the team is also looking to give Brett Brown an, a contract extension, which I like because I think Brett Brown's a good coach. I agree. Um, it's interesting to see, though, if the NBA is is tolerating kind of the 76ers trust the process tanking experiment. That part I found really interesting. We, we, did you mention? I'm sorry, I, t- I tuned out for half a second, which I shouldn't do while I'm on the radio. Look. But uh, they d- did you mention that Adam Silver potentially had a hand? Yeah, in, yeah. yeah. I found that to be by far the most interesting part of this whole thing was the because really in a sense that's not kind of supposed to happen, is it? Like that's it's ri- the, the league. Well, you know, y- yes, he knows people and he can y- he make recommendations and things like that. But as far as actually the the reports seem to indicate at least that he was maybe even giving a little nudge as far as maybe you guys should do this type of thing. Right. Uh, I don't but, know that that's supposed to necessarily happen. Uh, Adam Silver went on the radio today and said that he made the introduction was the extent of right. his. Uh, involvement here and i'm not sure i believe that i'm not sure i believe the sixer side of the story i'm not sure i believe the jeff zilgit story you know it's probably somewhere in between yeah but i think you know that the nba is perfectly involved i'm I'm okay with that like i i don't think that like the nba should have told hey you need to hire jerry colangelo but if the sixers owners were like hey you know he will help you and and you're it's going to be a part of a, a productive uh diverse front office then i'm i'm okay with it now the other question with this is do you think that this is in a sense, uh, a bit of a referendum on on Hinky's what Hinky has done, and maybe some of the de- like. I still think they're on board with the process long term. As far as like, I I, I still think they. I believe Zach Lowe was talking about this on his I, podcast. I think it's more of a PR but, move than anything. Do you okay? So you think that Hinky is still for the most part the guy at the wheel, and that it, it hasn't changed a whole lot. I do. That's interesting because I I mean I all these are unconfirmed reports, but I have read some people whose opinion is different that they they really think that Colangelo is going to have. More, a little, no, not you know, he's not going to be the everyday operations manager, but that he's going to, you know, he's going to potentially. Have How is he going to do that set. from Phoenix? No, I know, and that's that. I wondered about that as well. It's not uh, like sure, Kevin O'Connor is still on the Jazz's staff from North Carolina or wherever he is, but he's not making any relevant decisions. Sure, this is he's, true. he's he's being an advisor, and I think that's the extent of Jerry Colangelo's thing. But so we got to move on. Yeah. To, LOL Lakers. Yeah. Fun things in LOL Lakerland. Again, I kind of want to stop doing this, but then nope. the Lakers keep doing worse and worse stuff. That's not happening. First and biggest thing this week was that Byron Scott benched their two recent young starters who have star potential, namely D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle, the, last, the, the second pick in the draft and the number seven pick in the draft the year before that. Both of those players seem pretty angry about what ha- was happening. So, uh, for example... Uh, D'Angelo Russell said, everybody has a story at the end of the day as far as what they've been through. Hopefully I can look back on this and laugh. (laughs) Julius Randle says that this is the first time he's ever been benched. D'Angelo Russell said, I was starting to figure it out and then this happened. Like trying to start, I was trying to figure out what what Byron Scott was doing, but now I have no idea. Julius Randle again, another quote. You've never, you're never going to be thrilled about it as a competitor. I don't know, man. It's not my decision. I've just run out of things. Down. To, I've run out of things to say about this guy at this point. I keep getting the questions every week in my basketball insiders chat, 
And I, at this point, I'm just like, guys, you know my opinion. You know everyone's opinion. It's all the same. We, everyone knows. I mean, this guy is the worst. I asked on Twitter the other day, is, has Byron Scott, is he approaching the levels of worst coach in all of professional team sports? Maybe even like ever. Like, yeah. like how many guys are, have there been who, at least from what we can understand about coaching, have been more actively detrimental to their teams than he is? Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think it, I have a better understanding of where he ranks on kind of the NBA all-time scale. And back in, back in the day, there were some really, really, really bad NBA coaches, there were. to be clear. Uh, I think by a, in a modern context, Byron Scott is far and away the worst coach in the league, uh, at least this season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely no question about that. Uh, the other thing, uh, asked what player, what, uh, this was opposing players' compliments, I believe, yeah. right? Yeah, asked what opposing players' compliments would mean the most to him. Kobe replied that he doesn't care about any of them, which is a lie. Uh, <laughs> but is, is it a lie? Of course it's a lie. What, what opposing, if, I don't, Kobe is the kind of guy who doesn't care what people think about him. You tell me Kobe, Kobe doesn't care what, uh, what Meta World Peace thinks about him. Kobe doesn't care what no, Pau Gasol thinks doesn't. about him. What, uh, I have always, for a long time, been of the opinion that people, people who the people who strut around talking about how little they care about what other people think generally tend to care a lot what other people think. That's always been my in inwardly. I've, I think that's how people tend to operate. But Kobe Bryant's actions have also shown that he doesn't care what people think. I guess, right? Yeah, some people like some people want to project the thing that they want people to see. And he's been very good at that his whole career. Just he's been trying to get people. He's been trying to get people to see Michael Jordan in the mirror every time he looks in it for his entire career. But again, on the floor, he plays like Michael Jordan too. That's like, what I'm saying. Not is all he, that different? Yeah, I, I, we're all on the same page, but I'm, I'm we're on different spheres of what the I'm, page. Yeah, what I'm uh, that doesn't make sense. I know. There are no spheres on I the know. page. I made that up. What, as I'm, a, <laughs> as a what I'm saying is that Kobe Bryant is really much this much of a jerk who's kind of narcissistic and only cares about what, I guess, what he thinks he is. Yeah. He doesn't care what about, about what other people think at all. And I think he sees that you see that in his quotes. You see that in how he acts on and off the floor. Yeah, I guess. All right. last That's LOL Lakers. One more thing on this week's Around the NBA. LeBron signed a lifetime contract with Nike this week. Uh, undisclosed of amount of money, but... The only other person who probably has that is Michael Jordan. So it'll be interesting to see if like Nike starts a side like LeBron brand like they did with with Jordan shoes. I think there's very little doubt that that'll happen at some point if it's not probably already in the works. Yeah. Um, I I've heard that it's you know I think Darren Ravel reported that you know it's in the range of a billion, Ugh. which is that's insane. Except he didn't actually report what it was. I hate Darren. Ravel. No, I know Darren doesn't. He's, he, the worst. he's very vague on those sorts of things. I did the math, by the way. If it was a billion, for instance, and LeBron lives to ninety, which is that's a great age to live to if you're a human. Mm-hmm. LeBron lives to ninety from this year on he will receive just over 16 million dollars a year just from that if it's and i've heard people speculate that quote unquote lifetime in this case really actually means closer to about 20 years yeah because uh, that's that the vast sense. majority of when his earning power is when still going to be as strong as it is cuz he's i think he's very strong but he's not going to be jordan as far as how long his legacy reaches on those sales agreed all right we got to take a break Last segment coming up, including two crazy trade ideas. Ooh. Everybody's favorite. Um, these are from the message board, so you know they're good. That's next on the <laughs> Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Welcome to 
You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, this is the Atlanta Hawks um, theme song based on Can't Feel, Can't Feel My Face. Fan safety video, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> We talked about it. We brought it up last month. And as always, we like to bring in this segment with a clever piece of NBA music. So, anyway. They play this real song in the in the Vivint Arena, like the actual song right, right, right. this is based on. So, and it always gets in my head, which is now going to happen. This is going to get in my yes. head. Yes. I'm the worst with that. Like, uh, these annoying what was the song last week it's you said? The, was it's the Uma Thurman one. It's whoever <laughs> that's by. Like that, I don't even know who that's stupid. Oh, I hate that song so much. But they play it every game, like four or five times a game, and it's unquestionably in my head. There's like a, a rotating group of four songs that they play a ton in Vivint Arena, and one of them always ends up in my head by the time I'm leaving. That one's the most frequent one, and it bothers me. I'm sorry. It's all right. I'll live. I, yeah, good luck out there. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Thanks. All right, we got, got a couple fake trades. Yeah, that we got to do pretty quickly. First one, and they actually involve the Jazz's last two opponents. Um, huh. Oh, no, they don't. No, I lied. Yeah. I thought they did. I, I backed one out. This one does not. This one is with Portland. Trevor Booker and two second-round picks for Ed Davis. It's an interesting thought, right? Um, Ed Davis is around the same age as Booker. He's 26, so he's a year younger, yep. right? Um. He's a lot better. He's, oh, he's better. Has put up like 18 PERs over oh, the last like two nearly, seasons. It's nearly 20 this year. In fact, it was 20 last year. It was cool. 20 even, and it's 19.3 this year. Um, he's got a little more range, I think, than Booker does, or at least is a little more confident with his range than Booker maybe is. I think that's probably fair to say. Okay. Right? Um, I haven't watched quite enough of Davis as a defender to know how he might fit in with the Jazz. Have you? His stats are pretty good. Are they? Um, from like a, a block point of view, you look at RPM, that sort of thing. He's he's good on that side of the floor. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, in a, I, I don't think I'd be hugely opposed. I mean, if you truly feel like Ed Davis is going to be a legitimate upgrade at your third big over Trevor Booker, then I think there's a pretty good chance Booker's not on the team next year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um and two seconds is like what is two seconds? The Jazz have eight thousand seconds in their in their stockpile approximately. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I'd be I'd be I don't know that it's like a huge upward move. It might be closer to lateral, but if it, if if you think Davis can bring you something that Booker can't, then maybe it's more than lateral. He's paid seven million dollars a season for the next three years. Would Portland do that? Is um, the question. Might they, they need a first be... round pick? Yeah, that's the question. Is is two seconds enough, or can you, or do they need like the Oklahoma City first? Yeah, would um, you send the Oklahoma City first? And you you think about it. I mean, uh, it depends what else you have in mind and whether or not what else you have in mind for that pick and what else you have in mind for that money. Quite yeah, frankly. and what you have in mind for that pick is really far down the line, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, that. and honestly, there's a decent chance it turns into two second round. Yeah, picks. there is. Yeah, it, I I might not, I I would have to think about it more, but I might not have a big issue with sending that pick. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree, and I th- I think it helps you now. I think it helps you later. Ed Davis is young. Um, I I don't hate the idea at all. Yeah, I'm cool with it. All right, next one: Alec Burks and Trevor Booker for Darren Collison and Costa Kufis. This is the one that involves one of the Jazz's last two opponents. Um, this so much depends on what you think of Alec Burks 
And some so people you know think that Alec be. Burks <laughs> is a great player who's just kind of waiting to improve, smooth out the edges, if you will, and he's going to be a big contributor to this team long term. And there are some people who think that he's probably never going to be a winning player uh, and he makes too many defensive mistakes and is not really efficient enough offensively um, as, as a passer or as a jump shooter to to be an effective wing piece, I guess. And in my respectful opinion, those people haven't been watching enough yet this year. Well, no. I I'm not saying I, he's I, been spectacular. I, I, but he doesn't I, shoot enough from outside. He shoots well from outside, but he only takes like two, three-point shots a game. I agree with that, but if you look at the mental parts of his game, I think he's really improved it pretty much everywhere. Like, and I, and I think there's more time to be had with Quinn Snyder for that sort of thing. I, the main reason why I would say no besides the giant Alec Burks homer that I am is the, the contract. Alec Burks' contract, whatever you think of him in the modern NBA, that's a good contract. They, mm-hmm. In fact, maybe even a great contract. They've got him for three more years after this one. Lockdown. Like, he's there. Collison would be for one more year, and what would Kufus be? I think, like, two more? Three more? Uh, yeah, I think he signed a three-year 20, something so like that. So it'd be two more years after this. Um, I, I, You know what? I think the Jazz are pretty confident that Trey Lyles is going to be capable as their third big, hopefully starting next year. Like, to be there, con- and if, you know, assuming Booker leaves, right? I really think that's probably going to be the case. I don't think you necessarily need to bring in a guy to play third big that's going to, that's going to be on the books. You're like counting that. on Trey Lyles to be your main third big in year two? I think the Jazz are, or are at least pretty close to something like that. Okay, but then why are you doing the Ed Davis or Trevor Booker trade? Well, that's a good question. But doesn't Davis come, isn't he expiring more quickly? Uh, I don't think so. Let me yeah, okay, so he's got a play. So, okay, Kufis has a player option for the fourth year, whereas uh, Ed Davis doesn't. Davis and- just doesn't have a fourth year. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I, and the, the, but the main thing is that in that first deal you mentioned, we weren't sending Alec Burks. Yeah, and in no, this one, you're sending Alec <laughs> Burks. And you know, I, I just think the contract situation with Burks. I think the Jazz still have faith that he can be what he's going to be. Collison, Collison is a is a guy who gives you all of a sudden next year Exum comes back and you're worried about that. I, I don't think I'd do that second one. I'd okay. probably do the first one. Don't think I'd do the second. Fair enough. All right. That's another Salt City Hoop show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, and saltcityhoops.com. You're listening to us, ESPN 700.